Hello once again and welcome back to Good Words. Today I'm with Eric and we're talking about the kingdom of God. There's a lot going on in the world. Uh, Ukraine, Russia, conflict. Our last episode was about power and today we just wanted to talk about what it means to be a Christian who lives believing the confession that the kingdom of God has come. What is the kingdom? What does it mean to live like the kingdom of God has come? We get into all of that in this episode. I'm going to take it over to Eric. He's going to read us a passage from Matthew. Thanks for being with us. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 3, while he, Jesus, was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us, when will these things happen? And when, what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these events are the beginning of labor pains. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, hate one another. Many false prophets will arise up and deceive many, because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, good afternoon. Welcome. I'm Pastor Eric, and I'm here with Pastor Ross for another episode of Good Words. Yes, welcome back. You may notice that our audio is a little bit clearer today. Uh, we're getting, we're bordering right on like stern quality audio, not stern quality and content. You know, we're very different program to be sure, but you know, the he has like the gold standard for audio quality. So yeah. I just yeah, want to let everyone. We sound really good. Mm. We just don't sound very good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so today we were just in in my office talking about <clears throat> uh, relevant events in the world. You know, there's a lot of conflict going on around. We're not going to get into the whole United States, Russia, Ukraine thing, because we both agreed we don't know enough about it to make any sense of any kind of conversation about it. But one of the things we did talk about was Christianity and war and the gospel and uh, just how to think about 
what it means to live in a world that to live in a world that doesn't believe the kingdom of God has come but being a person who does confess the belief that the kingdom of God has in fact come yeah. what are the implications what do we do and you're doing a class on revelation right now and that class and that book though extremely challenging and uh, you know, for a lot of people, source of a, a lot of confusion at times because it's difficult reading. It's apocalyptic. It's uh, a type of genre, very specific kind of genre that requires very tedious and careful reading. But one of the great passages of the Bible is at the end of that book, and um, talking about Revelation twenty one twenty two, where there's a description of what it actually looks like when the kingdom of God is fully revealed and war and violence and sickness and COVID and impatience. When all of that is gone, what is left? And what is left is one of the most beautiful depictions of, of, the, king, of the earth embodying heaven you know of all of the biblical story and as i said to you a second ago i said uh, stanley Hauerwas, who's a been an incredibly influential writer for me uh, in my theological development especially in college uh, who who really makes it clear that for christians we live believing that that time has started that that day where neighbor sharing with neighbors and mercy being shown all over the world has actually be- began and just in the same way Jesus lived a life where he embodied what it means he embodied the ethic in other words how Stanley Hauerwas might say something like this. He embodies the ethic of the kingdom of God. And the, you know, we believe that the kingdom of God, we believe that Jesus, we believe that God himself as a as an entity, as a as an existing part of our reality as the creator exists. And therefore, this is not just merely like helpful um thoughtful pros about how to live a good life or how to live a you know a different life that can help alleviate some pain. We actually believe this is the way the entire cosmic universe has been designed to operate. And in a world where power which we talked about last time um war, jealousy, money where those things can really cloud the that idea that the kingdom has come christians are the ones who are reminding the world there's a different way to be and um jesus gives us many sayings in the new testament uh, not least the one not least of which the one you read trying to remind us of that fact and uh i'm just curious to hear your thoughts um Specifically, I'd like to hear your thought on this idea of 
Christian life being uh, taking its cues from the gospel. And by that, I'm meaning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, so the center, the center of the faith, the the defining moment of what makes a Christian a Christian. Um, what's the what do we take from that? Um, because I think a lot of people f- believe that it's our faith is a matter of of uh, like a something you you believe and it and and that saves you from hell and you get to go somewhere else at the end but the in between part doesn't get talked about a lot and uh, i just like to know like as you know as you've come to the faith later in your life from me i mean i was part of the church at a younger age you really came in and and actually started doing pastoral stuff later on uh, so as an adult, you really came to settle on these ideas. How has your thinking maybe, or what, what was it like in the beginning? Like what you thought it meant to be a Christian? Yeah. Um, and then how that's developed maybe for you. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I think, I think growing up, I had the idea that being Christian and being American went hand in hand, and and there wasn't there wasn't it, it, this was the United States made up the kingdom of God. And yeah, I don't it, think you're alone. And it wasn't until it wasn't until you know much later on that I that I realized that the kingdom of God is vastly different than anything on this earth and what i mean by that is jesus came and he brought the kingdom of god to the earth and and then he showed that in the way in which he lived and so um, you look at Israel had been waiting on the king. They were waiting on the king to come and overpower Rome and 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 to rule and all of the, and to be this mighty messianic warrior that was going to you know take control of the kingdom and and bring the kingdom of God in. And Jesus came, brought the kingdom in a totally different way, through a different kind of power mm. and literally said the kingdom of god is is at hand it's literally at your grasp it's right here i'm standing in front of you and so then he goes on later on and as he continues to un- unravel what the kingdom of god is it's just, it's it, it's not of this world he says in john 17 then my kingdom's <laughs> My kingdom, or I'm sorry, when he's talking to Pilate, he says, my kingdom's not of this world. Mm. Which, which becomes like, then you have to ask yourself, okay, wait. If the what kingdom does of that God, mean? If the kingdom of God is at hand, then how is the kingdom of God not, right. not part of this world? Right, yeah. Which, which means it has to be spiritually speaking. Right? Yeah, there's this, you know, this is something, not to interrupt you, and I want to let you keep going. 
uh, just like Kanye. I'm going to let you finish, but Beyonce had the best video of all time. The question of what does that mean is one that Christians, I think, especially Christians in our tradition, would do well to start asking because we're officially living in a post-Christian, specifically a post-Christian America. I would say a post-Christian Western existence. Uh, and the reason that's important is because the language that's become so familiar, so commonplace, because we've been part of a Christian society, whether that's nominally or actually devoted Christian society, they've become so common that we've forgotten what they mean. And for Jesus to say, my kingdom is not of this world, we, are, we have presuppositions that are defining what that means, and we don't often think about it. And we, you see this when you press somebody on what they believe. And I got to do this in my Sunday school class here recently over the last couple of weeks where I, I just kept asking, what do you mean? And what does that mean? And what does that mean? And you realize that once you ask that question enough times, the person who gave a very quick, very specific answer doesn't actually know what exactly they're talking about. They don't know exactly how to say what they've just said. And part of that is, uh, the way we did it was, I said, where is heaven? They said, well, the he heaven, heaven is above us. You know, God... Jesus ascends up to heaven. He's above. And I said, and how, how far? How far up? And right away, you start to see people kind of cock their head like, uh-huh. I don't know. And it must be way up there. It's like, do you think it's a thousand miles or a million miles? And, and you begin to see like, okay, this doesn't actually make any sense. It, it can't be up there, but it, but it is up there. So what you begin to realize is, and I've talked about this in our class, uh, our materialist understanding of existence has caused us to overlook a very common motif that's used in, biblical, in the biblical imagination, and that is that something being higher is another way of saying something that's greater or um, uh, uh, not truer, but same idea that uh, there's a, a more uh, fantastic, a more awesome in the literal sense of that word, more awe-inspiring, more full, more true. Uh, that is what we are calling heaven. And because God resides there, according to the Bible, it necessarily has a, a higher order of being, how we might say that. It's a higher order of being. So Jesus, to say that my kingdom is not of this world, is to say my kingdom that I'm bringing has its roots firmly planted in the heavens where God is, and I'm bringing it to you. I'm merging the two things that are to exist together, but it, it, it wasn't because I discovered it here. So it's just an interesting, like you brought that phrase of, you know, my kingdom's not of this world. A lot of our actions, I think, the way that we think about the world going forward comes from 
ideas that we don't actually know how to talk about if we get if we peel back the onion enough times. Yeah. And it leads to these kind of strange concepts, just like what you said about you know, I kind of thought being Christian and being American were kind of the same. And any Christians who didn't live in America probably just didn't know enough yeah. yet to to understand that they probably should come here and be Americans if they want to really be Christians and be able to live the real Christian life. They yeah. should be Americans too. And um, yet that becomes very complicated type of theology. Yeah. Yeah. So go uh, ahead. I did a long rant. No. no. So I, I, as I'm thinking about what, what we've been talking about and thinking about what the kingdom of God actually is and how Jesus explains it in so many different ways, it's, it's just not, it's not a kingdom that we're used to talking about. It's not the United Kingdom. It's it's not it's not it's not the United States. It's yeah. not Russia. It's not Ukraine or you right. know, China. It, it's not a landmass, and it's not a group of of. It is a group of people. I don't want to misstate, but. When you talk about the kingdom of God, you have to look at it how Jesus explains it. And he explains it in terms of it being a kingdom that's not of this world. He says when you finally, when you see the kingdom of God, he says it's like a, uh, he explains it as a treasure. He says it's like a treasure in a field. And, and, and when you come upon this treasure, uh, it's so, it's worth so, it's so valuable that you would be willing to literally get rid of all of your possessions and literally go and buy the field that this treasure's in so that you can have this treasure. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. Uh, he explains it uh, as when he's talking to the Pharisees who, who are saying at one time Jesus is casting out demons, and he says, uh, they're, they're saying that, you did that in the power of Beelzebul. Well, and then he goes on to say, he says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So if I'm doing spiritual things, then you'll know that the spirit of God and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's here. Yeah. Every, every time he was explaining the kingdom of God, he was talking about it in a spiritual sense because the kingdom of God is not, it's not a kingdom, like I was saying uh, uh, just a few minutes ago, that it, it's not a kingdom like we think of a kingdom. That's why um, in John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, this great uh, Pharisee of his day. And he tells him, he tells Nicodemus, he says, listen, Unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. And so what was Nicodemus's question? Like, how am I, what, am I supposed to be born again? Like, am I supposed to crawl back in my mom's womb? And right. Be... How do I get born twice? And Jesus says, no, it's not like that. It, you have to be born of, he says, born of water and born of the spirit. It's a spiritual reality. Awakening, really. Yes. Yeah. The kingdom of God is not 
like we think of it. And so when I'm trying to go back to what you asked me about how I view the kingdom of God and how I view, you know, yeah, grew up thinking like this. Well, once you finally see the kingdom of God as Jesus lays it out in the New Testament, as this reality that, though not yet physical, at some at, at some point, you know, when Jesus comes back and uh, renews all things, he um, then the kingdom of God will be a physical. I, I do think that the kingdom of God will ultimately be a physical reality for everyone. New Earth, yes. Yeah. Right now. He is building his kingdom as a spiritual kingdom, which is what he came and talked about through the proclamation of the gospel. I think a good exercise too is to define kingdom. What do we what do you mean like not not necessarily God's kingdom but just kingdom. What do we mean by kingdom? And a kingdom is just simply um a place where a particular king rules. His in other words um it's a it's a place you could call it a nation. It's another way that we might conceptualize of it where a particular way of being is enacted, and that particular way of being is determined by the king himself, or in, in our context, Jesus, and, in, and as he would say, God, God's kingdom, God's creator's rule and reign. Um, and what does that look like? And for Jesus, that looked like laying down your life. And it has physical, it has... Um, ramifications for our actual world and being a christian is being invited into that kingdom where god's rule and reign exists and we get to participate in distributing that kind of justice and that kind of peace and actually enacting that kind of a world inside of a world that doesn't yet recognize that reign or rule uh yeah 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 one of the hardest things to um to come to an understanding of is thinking of things on a from a spiritual standpoint point as opposed to the physical world we can only see what's what's in front of us we can only touch the things that are tangible and so thinking thinking outside of you know the united states and I, i'm using this as an example but but we can't when, when you can't see something it's hard to believe in it right uh, because it's not like we just can't grasp the reality. So, and this is why it's interesting when you brought it up in your Sunday school class and when you, when you and I have talked about it, um, 
when we start talking about the reality of heaven and you ask somebody, well, where exactly is heaven located? You know, then all of a sudden you've gone from what we can see and understand to a, a reality that's so far beyond our comprehension that, that we know. And certainly we have ways to see, you know, things in space, which we would call the heavens probably. Yeah. That's what the ancients, but yeah, but exactly where, when Jesus, when Jesus went away in a cloud, Mm -hmm. uh, to go sit at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, where's that throne? Well, the throne's in the heavens. Well, yeah, but, but where, like, is it right? What, what's it look like? And where's, you know, where's he seated? Mm -hmm. We can't understand that. Yeah, the yeah, the that's the whole, you know, the whole idea of church, um, being a you know a a place where we come to practice. I think I mentioned this in the last one. It's a place where we go to practice living inside of that reality as a true reality. Where um, it's a str- it can be a strange concept, except especially for us Protestants who's whole tradition has been built on uh and influenced by modernism and what grew out of the enlightenment um the idea that when we come together we're actually communing we're actually gathered with the heavens as we sing as we pray as we hear a sermon and as we take communion we are literally participating in that kingdom and uh, yeah, you don't see it in the same way as you might see Florida when you go to Florida, or as the Gulf of Mexico when you're standing knee deep in the water. Um, but it the 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 story Jesus wants you to know, and the testimony of the Christian Church is it's as real, and in some ways more real, fuller, more profound than even that. And in fact, it is the thing that gives life to the things that you see. And this is still a concept, just to be quite honest with you, you know, this is still a concept I'm trying to get my mind around, uh, trying to understand it, because it seems like the more I try to meditate on it and, and really give dedicated time to just thinking about it, I don't know how to say exactly what it feels like, but it just feels true. It just, I sense that it's, there's something to it. You know what I mean? It's like, I believe it. Uh, And I think that I believe it because of the people that I've encountered who also believe it, maybe when I didn't believe it. And I look back and I think, there's no reason those people should have cared. You know, as a boy and being very poor and with a single mom and seeing folks from church bring us groceries and put, you know, relatives of mine who were devoted Christians buy and set up a basketball goal in our backyard. Like mundane things that get overlooked all the time. Like these are blessings from heaven. People just 
being generous because they understand how generous God has been with them. You can't really account for that in a purely physical world other than to say it's just nice. Yeah. But even then, like, what do you mean by nice? Well, it's, you know, when you're kind to your neighbor, it, it creates a, a, a good environment. Okay, but why is that good? Well, it's better than, you know, the, the alternative where everybody just kind of looks out for themselves. Okay, but why is that better? You know, why is that worse? We all kind of know. With, with, if God doesn't exist, there is no concept of good or bad. There's just advantageous and disadvantageous to life. Yeah. The problem with that is what is advantageous to life if in, the wor- in a world where God doesn't exist, where the heavens don't exist, where there is nothing greater than ourselves, um, you really get to make it up. That's why for some people it means I can take the axe to this person's career because it helps me get ahead. If there is no God, there is no actual definitive objective good. Uh, there's no reason I sh- can't do that because ultimately it'll give me more money, which will help me provide for my family even better. And I'll have sort of a life of luxury and I'll have this and I'll have that. And you see very quickly how it starts to sort of unravel itself. There becomes no objectivity. And if that, and if that's true, you really have no basis to ever be mad about anything or upset when you've been done wrong or you, you have no, there's no reason for you to be upset because there is no right or wrong. There is no good. And we're living in a place where that's unraveling kind of before our eyes despite the fact that everyone atheists uh, agnostics they all understand they all live even if they say that they don't believe in objective good or objective right and wrong or beautiful and that they're if, even if they'll say that they live differently because they're they do know in a way they can't really articulate, there's something objective about goodness. And um, I think the story of Christ, I think the story of Christ is a story about revealing exactly what that is. And that is called the kingdom, where Jesus is the king, the man who was fully unionized with the divine creator, the logos, the power. And he's inviting us to live that same way. And that is, to put it very, in its most basic terms, it is to say, you can give everything that you have and God's going to make it okay for you in the end because he loves you. And boy, that is a very difficult thing to believe. It just is a very hard thing to believe yeah. that you can give everything away and you'll be raised from the dead. That's the, it, the, the radical nature of Christianity is how shall I, how should I, now that I know who Christ is and what Christ has done on my behalf, how then should I live? And Jesus' answer is if you want to follow me, you take up your cross and you follow me, which 
what was what was a cross used for? Well, a, a cross was literally a, a an instrument used f- for death, mm-hmm. and and Jesus is is literally saying, in order to follow me, you have to be willing to die to yourself, yeah, and live as though you believe that there is a a better life that you actually can live yeah um yeah it, it, it yeah modern i heard um you know there's a there's a very famous um african american theologian his name's james cone and um he has he, he likes to take um he he really uh he has a, a book called Cro- the cross and the lynching tree and he he does an exercise in that book of of comparing early american slavery with um and parallels of the injustice there to the injustice done to jesus on the cross and uh, w- uh, one way he might say this is to take up your noose and follow me and that's a little more explicit for us because a cross is people don't get crucified today so a cross again it's one of those words that it has a religious meaning and context that's easy for us to say without thinking really deeply about because it's so familiar. But to say, take up your noose and follow me, and especially to say that to an African-American person, take up your noose and follow me, that's a, that is a challenge. Yeah. And that's one that... It, he wants us to believe. He, he wants you to believe that that can be your fate. And if you will devote yourself to this higher order, to this belief that Eden really can touch down on earth again and that it has, if you can take up your noose and, and if it comes to it, allow the world to devour you, it will be okay because Jesus has proven to us. He says, I've shown, I've conquered the world through this. Um, there's a, I just showed you a picture and actually what I think I'll do uh, for you listening now, you've probably already seen uh, what it, I, I can do now is for each episode, uh, I can actually put our logo, which is good words podcast that you see when you pull up our podcast. It'll still be the logo, but for the individual episode, I can actually put this piece of art so you're actually able to see it if you're listening now. But they're going to actually see this piece of art that I showed you that I think is so powerful. And I, and I love art, and I'm a musician, and I'm consumed with this world. But um, you, you can see this lamb, and I'll pull it up for us, Eric, so that we can see it because I think, it's, uh, I think it can be helpful. It's this lamb. Um, being devoured by seven wolves and the lamb looks like it's sleeping like it's resting and the seven wolves are devouring its flesh and seven is a very important number in the bible uh in my sunday school class we've been going through genesis 1 through 11 and and seven's 
explicitly stated or implicitly um, detailed in the story, whether it's mentioning a thing seven times or the seven days of creation or the seven, uh, se- you know, seven is constantly being brought up. And it's this idea of completion or finality. And for this piece of art to show the seven wolves, it's the finality, it's the culmination of human greed and impatience and striving for power that finds its fulfillment at the moment the lamb, the spotless lamb, allows itself to be devoured. And it's only then that those seven wolves can see with their eyes. Just like you said, like it's an awakening. When you see it, you can't unsee it. But when you see this is the way, it's not just like, hey, um, you know, this is how you get a better life. It, it's like, it's deeper than that. It's woven into the fabric of the creation itself that this is how we heal. By, by being little Christs out in the world. And I told you, um, Stephen Freeman's an Orthodox priest in Tennessee, in a r- rural town in Tennessee. And I heard him talk about um, the importance of Christians understanding that they are not here to change the world. God will do that. And if Christians can see themselves as being people of a blessing, of a gift, and to make it their life's mission to be the most Christ-like person in their neighborhood, that is how the world will literally change. If you can make If you can come to the realization, when you awaken to the reality that God exists and loves you, defined by Jesus Christ, and you begin to see that everything around you is is a gift, literally everything, the trees, the grass, everything is a gift. God is worth our love for nothing. It's a story of Job. Maybe we can go into that another day, but um, by making yourself through the practice of being in church and praying and reading your scriptures and thinking about God and training yourself to follow Jesus in a way that makes you the most quick to forgive, the most generous, the, the quickest to have a kind word, the, the slowest to anger, the, the, the fastest to show mercy, to be that person in your neighborhood. No matter how you're treated, is the way that your neighborhood begins to change and thereby the world literally changing starts with Jesus and goes to you. His, his spirit, awakening to the spirit, having this new birth into a reality that you didn't see before is the way the world changes. And I think that that is just a powerful way to think about our own lives. So. When you think of the uh, of this Christian life, and you think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what are some ways in which you would tell someone else? Think think about 
and I'm thinking, I'm shooting off the top of my hip here. Um, how do you, how do you explain to just the person who might come in and, and, and be on this, sh- listening to this show about this kingdom that you can't see, uh, and that literally cause you to, um, die to yourself and, and live, uh, like Christ. How, how do you, how would you explain the kingdom of God to someone that doesn't know or see what that, what that's like? You know, I think, I think, I think by showing them that there is no, there is no reality apart from it. That, and by and I, what I mean by that is a little bit what I said before about the atheist who who says people don't. And by atheist, I want you to know, I want our listeners to know, a lot of people live atheistically, even who say they believe in God, but even explicitly atheist. Someone who says I don't believe God exists, it creates a very big problem because everyone knows good. There is good and there is bad, and there is beauty. And there is chaos. And if you can get somebody to the point where they are willing to admit, okay, I I think there is right and wrong. I think there is things that are objectively good. I think that's where the conversation begins. Because if that exists, there has to be a reason. There there has to be. It's not a it's not like it can exist without it. It there's it doesn't make sense that there's a better way of existence. And then you just start to expound, like what's the maximum, what's the absolute best thing you can do? What's the greatest form of love? Laying down your life for your friends. There's no greater love than this. And inside of that encompasses all of these other little things where your life might not be on the chopping block, but I have a friend who has been an atheist for a long time and his life has been utterly chaotic utterly chaotic addiction um we just had coffee he told me he sold it he he literally had a moment where he gave his soul to the devil he out loud said you can have me and whatever you know whatever you might want to believe about that he's telling me this is what happened and his life went into a dark place for a long time. I don't know that he would consider himself a Christian, but he's recently had an awakening to this greater reality. And one of the things that I'm doing for him that I explained to him is I, I, I paid for his coffee when we went to have coffee. And um, he was very grateful. And I asked him yesterday, I was like, hey, can we go have lunch? At, you know, go maybe grab a coffee again soon. And uh, he said, well, I'm, I'm actually, I don't have any money right now, but maybe next week. And I told him, let me get it. Let me pay for it. I'm happy to pay for it. And it's not because I want, I want him to know, you know, I'm a good person. It's because the money that is in my bank account doesn't, is not mine. It, it's not, I don't own it. It's for me to give away because I believe that Jesus has defined for me what it means to live a life 
according to the way it's been made. Like it's, it's into the fabric of how things are made. And I firmly believe it's undeniable when you experience it. I don't, I, it's like a trump card. No one is, the only time someone would be upset that someone is giving them a blessing in this way is their ego. Like someone offering to buy you something, if that upsets you, that's a you thing. Because everyone else can objectively say, that is a nice thing to do. And it's not just because it's nice. Again, why is it nice? It goes into this why question. Why is it nice? Why is that a good thing? You cannot answer that question if God does not exist. You cannot answer it. There is no advantageous living that it, that it makes for me to give money away, to make myself poorer, unless Jesus is right, unless he's right, that God's made the world in a way that doing this heals things. And um, he's very grateful. And I love being able to be in a position where God has blessed me in a way to be able to do this for him. Um, and I just try to see everything like that. My, my money, my time, everything is just, it's just a gift. And gifts are forgiving. And God is the greatest gift giver and he never runs out of them. And if that's my source, if that's my source, I'm never scarce for, for gift giving. Oh, I've got plenty to give. And this is the kind of world that I think people, once they can have their eyes open to, it, it defends itself. It just does. It, it, when people read the story of Jesus, every single person, including people who don't believe him, believe in him, think that that was an injustice. If that story really happened the way that it happened, it was wrong. Why was it wrong? Why? Is there some way that nature can show us that it was wrong for some nation to crucify Jesus? No, unless he was telling the truth. And I, th I think, I honestly think that in our, in our context, in this current kind of state that we're in, in a post-Christian uh, Western world, post-Christian America, these are the type of conversations where we have to really dig behind worldviews, where we may not have had to do that 100 years ago or 200 years ago, that now it's pretty, it's required. You know, we have in the Constitution in our country that all men and women are created equal. If there's no God, that is silly. And we have people in our country who have no commitment to God, no commitment to this way, who still believe in that. And their belief in that makes no sense unless God exists. And if God exists, you there are you have to do something now like what does that mean for your life now if god really does exist what is that god like let's look at this story about jesus and just let's just take it for what it is and see if this can reveal to us 
some kind of light. And I, I'm, by that, I'm, I'm obviously making an allusion to the New Testament, but the New Testament itself is using that word light, that the in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and it was the light of mankind. It was the light of creation. Light is the thing that exposes reality. This is how they saw Jesus. Jesus exposed reality in a way that we did not quite get before. And you just have to, you know, I think patiently and carefully um, introduce people to that. And, you know, and then to some degree, you have to allow um, trust and allow. God's spirit to kind of awaken them to that. Um, but the the very best way to demonstrate the truth of what we believe is to live like people who believe that we're going to be raised from the dead. And if that's true, I don't have to have a big house. I'm going to I'm going to be part of the new creation. I'm going to sit on a throne next to Jesus himself. I'm going to have access to the divine power one day, face to face. Uh, everything that God has belongs to me yeah. in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I have a sign out in front of my office, and I wrote on there, I drew a picture of the globe, and I wrote, what belongs to the Messiah now belongs to me. In the context of American property rights and, and you know, rights and land and this, uh, we might take that to mean like, I have, uh, you know, I own it, therefore you can't come to it unless you ask me. But that's not how Jesus understood the world. He gave himself. He, he knew it belonged to him. You know, the temptation, he, he goes out, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He's like, they're, they're, yeah. I've conquered the world. What he, are you talking about? He could have, he could have said to the devil, I actually already own it. Um, yeah, exactly. And so in, in that way, money, um, uh, anything that you can name, honestly, is just a gift for you to demonstrate this new way of living. And that's why, you know, I have a relative who's very skeptical to the church, um, specifically around money. Church is taking money. Sure. It's a very difficult concept for him to get. Feels very greedy. Um, but the reason we give money to churches is kind of twofold. And I, I actually think I mentioned this before. I don't remember. But one of the reasons is because as a community, if we can pool our money, we can do more than if we just individually set out to do, you know, whatever, just, uh, you know, logistically speaking. But also, it's to practice giving regularly so that when you go out into your life, you've already, you're, you're well rehearsed in this. I give, I, I give money away every week. So paying for this guy's sandwich, I mean... It's not even my money anyway. You know, it's not even, it's not even mine. Uh, I knew a guy who had 
um, he got a new car and he had this just an old, you know, an old car worth a couple grand and just a beater car. And, um, he could have sold that car, but he knew somebody who couldn't afford it, even as cheap as it was, you know, even as little as it was worth, he just gave it away. And that seemed like such a weird, bizarre thing to do. Like you could have sold the car and had money, you know, and done something with the money. It's like he understood that, hey, I don't need it anymore. I got a new one and someone else can use this. And I, and I mean, it's I was just using it. It's not mine. The, it might legally be mine. You know, the state might know that it's registered to me and I've paid the whatever and I've done the thing, but everything is a gift. Everything is a gift. And if you just imagine, like a thought experiment, if everyone believed that, that everything is a gift, happy to share it with you. There would be no problems here. There would be no war. Yeah. If if everything was just, hey, I've we found this um we've got this mineral here um that we found and it's good for this or that or it's good for purifying water or whatever. Um and we've got an abundance of it. Why don't you um could you could your country use this? I mean, I know you've got problems doing like getting clean water to your people. Like, how could we get this to you? You know, we don't want to charge you, you know, for it or anything. How could we get like if everyone did that with everything? There is no conflict. There is no conflict. This is the this is the world that revelation details this is the kind of way that jesus is inviting us to live he's saying the world isn't here yet but you as a christian believing that it exists show people that it exists show them that you can live a life and experience joy and fulfillment and meaning by doing the very thing the whole rest of the world says is totally um, foolish. Yep. You can't just give stuff away. You, you can't. That doesn't make any sense. We'd all be poor. No, 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 no. You don't understand. You don't even understand. Why is being like sharing, caring, this is how the world was made to be. Extending blessings, divine blessings all over the world. I think this, I really think that you asked me like, how do you communicate this kingdom thing? How do you, I think this is how. Exposing the, exposing the, um, the, 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 ex- exposing the way the way we would define the world without God doesn't make any sense. And by showing how Jesus has built for us, has revealed he's given light to something that we didn't see before. Under the un, under undergirded, defended, um, proven 
by the fact that Jesus, who lived it utterly to the degree that seven wolves consumed him as of the lamb, was raised from the dead. This is a, this is like, it's crazy is what it is. It's just, it's crazy. But the way he's invited us to live is apparent to everyone. Kind of what brought all this on, this episode, we are talking about the things going on in the Ukraine and with Russia and stuff like that. And like we said, we're not going to, you know, get into the his- history of that event and what's transpiring. What it's going to do over the next days and weeks to come is, and you've already seen it somewhat, but anytime you get this um, rumor of war, like, like we talked about, uh, like I read from uh, Matthew 23, it's it's like you sort of, especially men, like we puff up our chests and all of a sudden, you know, we get, we get really like gung-ho about war and like, oh, they're trying to take something from us. Let's go, you know, let's, we need to, we need to bomb them. We need, let's, let's wipe these people off the map, you know? We're the dominant power, and and this is the this is the way that the world has worked throughout history. Wars have come, kingdoms have risen, kingdoms have come, powers have this this like we talked about the last in the last episode. Just this this desire for power, and there has never never been peace. And what Jesus brought when he came as literally the Prince of Peace was a kingdom and a new way of living and a new way of thinking. And the way in which Paul describes what Jesus did, particularly with Jew and Gentile, um, was at the cross, Jesus literally brought together two people groups that were so vastly separated. And he literally, it says uh, in Ephesians 2 that he, he broke down a wall of hostility by, by literally killing himself. And the whole Christian life, and this is what we're trying, we're trying to, to say, um, and, and hopefully it hasn't been confusing because we've talked about a lot of different things, but, but if I could bring this to one thought, it's this. For the Christian, war should never be this desire in our hearts. Peace should. Mm-hmm. Hatred for another person should never, ever even enter our minds. Because if, if you hate your brother, 
you've already committed murder in your heart. That's what Jesus says, right? And the way of the Christian life is to literally let go of yourself and all of your, your belongings, all of your, your desires, and give them up for the good of someone else. And, and man, if we would just act like this, if we would think like this, if we would literally lay down our lives for, for the good of someone else, we, we would not have to continue having these wars, rumors of wars, yeah. this, this fighting and stuff. And, and man, if I could just encourage our church, if I could encourage uh, anyone who's listening to look at, really study what Jesus said about the kingdom of God, really study about what it is that he accomplished. And sell, sell out for that kind of life. I promise, I, I promise that you will be blessed beyond all comprehension in, in doing so. Um, and, and certainly, they, you know, obviously none of us are perfect. Um, we, we're fallen, we're going to... Mm-hmm. We're going to stumble. We're going to, we're going to, you know, have our moments of, uh, of fear and, and have our moments where, you know, our desire for ourselves and our own good is, is, you know, takes control, but, um, that's where grace comes in and we can live our lives trusting in the work of Jesus. Yeah. And I think if there's one thing for you, you know, listening to meditate on, to just spend some time in the coming weeks just thinking about when you got some time alone or take a walk, just think about what is the reason, what is the reason for war? And if it's for protecting what is what you think is yours what does that mean what what is yours because i think of the the challenge and i'm and i am saying this as someone who's doing this trying to trying to believe this like i'm not saying i've i've figured it out and i'm 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 trying to believe this is true the world is yours but it's yours to give away your money is yours, but it's yours to give away. It's not for you to protect. It's not for you to bury so that, you know, when the time comes, you can, you can say, hey, I held on to my peace. That's, it's to give away. And in doing that and sacrificing that, all becomes yours. The world becomes yours because this is how it was made to be. Expand your garden. The yeah. idea was never to stay in Eden, to yeah. just sit in this little yeah. nice tight community of garden and everything's good. It was to go out, expand it, expand it, expand it, expanding, expanding, 
Keep spreading it. Keep making beautiful things. Keep doing good things. Keep sharing. Keep loving. Keep, keep worshiping God. Keep loving your neighbor. And Stanley Hauerwas, just to bring him up uh, once again, he, uh, he has a uh, kind of a famous quote that says, it's hard to love your enemy when you kill him. Um, and it's an easy thing to say, and you know, I'm not pretending like this isn't a, a, a complicated issue, because it is. But are you killing to preserve your economic situation? Are you being greedy to preserve your bank account? Or even just unwilling to give because you don't think you have enough money? These are the types of things as they come up, we need to go, hmm, what does that say about what I believe about the world that I can own something? What does it mean to own something? What does it mean, what does it mean to, for something to be mine? I think what the New Testament and the Christian tradition wants us to to think about that how it wants us to think about that is yeah you can have things but the only reason you have anything is to share it that's an interest that's a thought worth a walk to think about yeah maybe look at uh just acts chapter two when the when the church first started uh gosh what a beautiful picture there was not uh there wasn't a person who had a need ever, ever, because everybody that owned something made sure that everybody that didn't have had everything that they needed. They were, they were willing to give it. And we're not, this, this isn't our way of saying, Hey, give us everything that you have. <laughs> like it, yeah. it's not necessarily a, a literal thing. Like we're not, it, it could be, maybe, maybe God would have you sell your property and, and, give it to someone who's in need i i don't know yet maybe he will do that maybe he'll do that with me and maybe do that with ross who, who knows what we're saying is it's a it's a heart it's it's a heart condition it's the ability to recognize that what you have is a gift it's been given to you and and certainly some of you have worked really hard to to own the things you have and have the things that you do, but the heart of a Christian is, hey, I have all of this stuff. How can I be a blessing to someone else? Yeah, yeah. It's what not I-, I have all this stuff. If I just, if I just keep it, or maybe I should work to get a little bit more. Totally different way of living, man. Yeah. Yeah, if we can believe that the kingdom of God has come, that God's God's rule has begun, um, we should be working on believing that everything is a gift and therefore to be given. Like everything is a gift and to be shared with other people. And maybe I could, uh, maybe I could close this out with this. This is, um, 
This is First Peter chapter one. If if you're listening and wondering, well, what's in it for me? Um, you've missed you missed the vast majority of the point of this show. Number one, but but just to encourage you and to let you know that that there is something for you. Here it is. This is First uh, Peter chapter one, starting in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here, here, here's, here's your inheritance to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may, re- may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that's inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. That is a great way to end. Yeah, good words. Good words. Thanks for listening.